All right, let me start off with a question for you guys. What is the most important factor when it comes to flying? What is the thing that will differentiate between whether you have an amazing, fantastic experience or a miserable couple of hours? Do you know what the difference is? No, not engine failure. Jeez, heard somebody whisper that from over here. That got dark fast. No. Your seatmate, the person sitting next to you, will make all the difference in the world as to whether or not you will have a great flight or an absolutely miserable flight, right? Am I right? Have you ever experienced a flight where you had the worst person imaginable sitting next to you? Could have been any number of reasons why you didn't enjoy sitting next to them, but the right seatmate can make all of the difference. Now, the best seatmate you can possibly have on an airplane Let me tell you about them. It's not the person who puts on a big set of Beats headphones, who puts on an eye mask and goes to sleep. Believe it or not, that is not the best seatmate you can have on an airplane. Do you know who the best seatmate you can have on an airplane is? The one that's not there. Anybody with me? Yes. The best seatmate on an airplane is an empty seat. It's the person who didn't show up. I mean, there is nothing better than walking to your aisle, sitting down at the window, seeing them lock the cabin doors, and having an empty middle seat. Oh, that is such a good day. You know you're in for a good flight any single time that happens. And if you've been living right, I mean like real right, and the favor of God is on you, you might have the whole road to yourself. Not a single other body in that three-seat row. And you will fly like a king. You will travel with a proud smirk on your face. You know that every other person in that plane is looking at you, and they're wondering, man, are they lucky or are they just good? And you'll think to yourself, I'm both. (laughs) Seriously, it is phenomenal when you are fortunate enough to have empty seats next to you on a plane. Like, that is a really great thing. You can stretch out. You can put your stuff in the seat next to you without having to worry about cramming it under the seat in front of you. When it, time, when it comes time to go to the washroom, you don't have to say, sorry, excuse me, I've got to get out. Can you let me out? And you do that awkward thing where you're like, I'm not sure which way I should be facing now, you know? You don't have to worry about that. It's incredible. It really is a wonderful, wonderful thing. If you get a lax flight attendant, you can actually recline, lean back, put your feet on the seats. I mean, there is nothing better than having that empty seats. Let's be honest, okay? We're among friends and family here. When you got the seat to yourself, you can let a polite amount of gas out, and it's not going to bother anybody. I said a polite amount. Polite. Don't act like you don't do it, you liars. I've flown with some of you. get this back on track. Hey, I'm serious though. Having an empty seat next to you or an empty row to sit in, it's just, it's fantastic. It is basically the best thing that you could imagine happening on a flight. But can I tell you the thing that makes for a great airplane ride is the exact same thing that ruins a party. Did you know that? See, if you get on a plane and the seat next to you is empty, you'll pull out your phone, you'll Instagram story it, hashtag blessed, you know? But if you go to a party 
and there are a lot of people that were supposed to show up and most of them didn't make it, you know what you'll do? Hashtag awkward. You're like, oh, this is a little strange. I mean, I thought there were going to be a lot of people. I thought this was going to be a party and a celebration. And it's a little weird if only three or four people show up to any particular party. The thing that will make for a great flight will actually make for a terrible party. This party, I'm going to use air quotes there, this party that you go to, it might have food, it might have drinks, it could have music. But the thing that's going to determine whether or not it's a great party is who and how many people show up. Listen, this is true whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, and I can prove that. See, if you're an extrovert, you want a whole house full of people that you can float around and have conversations with, right? The more people, the better. But if you're an introvert, believe it or not, you actually want a party where lots of people are present too. You know why? Because if you go to a party and there are only seven or eight people there, at some point in the night, every single extrovert is going to corner you for a conversation. But if you go to a party with a lot of people, you can hide. There's a good chance that they're going to seek somebody else out and they won't ever find out that you were off in the corner all by yourself. We get excited about empty seats on an airplane and we know that having empty seats at a party makes it more awkward or not quite as enjoyable as it could be. Now, with all that in mind, let me ask you, on the spectrum of empty seats on a plane and full seats at a party, where should a church service fall? Where should a church service fall on that? We get happy with empty seats on a plane. How should we feel about empty seats in a church service? And I wonder how God might feel about empty seats in a church service. I wonder if there's at least the smallest chance that you and God might feel differently about empty seats when it comes to Sunday morning church services. Because as we might see this morning, maybe you and God expect different things from church. Maybe you're here for different reasons. And if we can understand who God is and what he's after when people gather together in his name, then we might be able to experience church as it was always meant to be. So in order to do that, we are going to move into week two of our series, We Can't Stay Here. If you weren't here last week, this is your first Sunday with us, don't sweat it. It's okay. You can jump in at any point in these messages and you're not going to be lost. Now, last week, we looked at Luke chapter number 15 from the Bible. And in that chapter, Jesus tells three stories, three parables. And we'll talk about them here in just a moment. We also announced last week that in the fall of this year, Connect Church is going to be moving to two services on Sunday mornings because when it's not a holiday, this place is backed out. I mean, we have a really great time together. More and more people keep coming and making decisions and finding life overflowing in Jesus. So that was week one. If you weren't here for it, it's okay. Today, we're going to look at another parable that Jesus tells in which he compares church and the kingdom of God to a party. Now, before we read it, I want to make sure we're all on the same page, because maybe you're new to, the, to Bible reading, and you're like, I'm not totally sure what a parable is. A parable is really, really simple. A parable is simply a small story with a big meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is a fictional tale that Jesus tells in order to help you learn something about yourself and about God. 
Okay, so that's what a parable is, just a short made-up story in which Jesus is trying to teach you something about you and the nature of God. Now, I pointed out to you last week that in nearly every single parable Jesus tells, there might be one exception. In every single parable, one of the characters is supposed to represent God, and one or more of the characters are supposed to represent you and me. So anytime you read a parable in the Bible, you're supposed to be asking yourself, okay, who is God represented by in this story? And who am I? Where do I see myself? What's the point that I'm supposed to understand about God or about me? So let's read this parable. It's Luke chapter number 14 this morning. It's a fictional story that Jesus is going to tell to try to teach you something about the nature of the kingdom of God. It's called the parable of the great banquet. Or we might call it the giant feast, the big party, the throwdown, all right? The parable of the great banquet. So here we go, uh, Luke chapter number 14. We'll start in verse 15. The scripture says this, a man who was sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be, Jesus, to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. He's like, Jesus, I want you to know how spiritual I am. I think about heaven all the time. And I think heaven's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful to have a banquet in heaven with God. So Jesus replied to him with this story. And in telling this story, the point is to communicate something about the kingdom of God. Jesus says, a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, for the banquet is ready. But, Jesus says, they all began making excuses. One of the people who was invited said, ah, I've just bought a field and I must go inspect it, so please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. She got me on lockdown. She won't let me out. This is what Jesus said, okay? I'm just telling you what he said. Don't, I don't know. These people are invited to the party, and the truth is they make lame excuses on why they can't attend. I mean, they could have gone, seriously. Who buys a piece of property without ever looking at it first? You don't know what you're getting, and so you would never, ever do that. That would be completely foolish, right? They didn't have the internet back then. You couldn't look at pictures of it, so nobody would have bought a piece of property without long real estate negotiations and without visiting that property themselves. Uh, maybe he did buy five yoke of oxen, which, by the way, were like the heavy machinery of their day. This is like a farmer buying a tractor. It is a pretty big purchase for sure. Um, but it's not like he had to try them out right then and there. He could have waited until the next day. And come on, what newlywed couple doesn't like going to a party? Who doesn't like getting dressed up and going to a giant feast that you don't have to pay for, drinking somebody else's wine? I mean, like, this was the perfect setup for a couple that was newly married, and yet... All three of these people make excuses as to why they cannot come to the party. So the servant returned, and he told his master what they had said. And his master was furious. And he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of our town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, lame is like, you know, an old English word for uh, disabled in some sense. This is not lame like, you're lame, bro. Okay, it's not quite that lame. But maybe they were invited too, I don't know. 
After the servant had done this, he went out into the streets, literally anybody he could find, anybody and everybody, he said, we've got a seat for you. Come to the party. The master has invited you. Come show up. After he had done that, the scripture says he had gone back to his master and reported, master, there's still room for more. And so his master said, go out in this time, not to the town, but go to the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. And then he kind of gives a warning here. He says, for none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. Now, in our parables last week, we identified a pattern that is true of God. In these parables that they tell, it's true of God throughout Scripture. We talked about that last week, so catch up on the podcast if you want to hear more. But this pattern that we see over and again from God, we see it here in this passage as well, is that God searches, God succeeds, and God celebrates. God searches for people. He searches for his lost children. He searches for his lost sheep. And we said last week that God succeeds. He will never quit until you are dead. That is like he will hound you trying to get your attention, trying to get you to understand who he is and what he really wants from you and for you. God succeeds. He finds the ones that he's looking for. And then we said over and again, God celebrates God celebrates. We saw that when the shepherd found the lost sheep, he went home and threw a party. In Luke 15, when the woman found her missing coin, she went home and she threw a party. When the dad got his prodigal or lost son back, what did he do? He threw a party. God celebrates. And so you see this pattern even here in Luke chapter number 14, the the parable of the great banquet. God is searching for people. God will find them and he will celebrate when they come home. Now, I want to hone in this morning just a little bit more on this idea that God celebrates. I really want us to dig in deep because this is something that is easy to overlook, but oh man, are you going to miss something really important about God's character if you don't recognize just how much God loves to celebrate. In fact, according to Jesus in this parable and lots and lots of others that he tells, God is really into parties. God is really into parties. Now, look, I'm not talking about a Saturday night rager where you vomit in the fish tank and you don't remember the name of the person that you wake up next to. Not that kind of party. But I'm talking a real joyful celebration. I mean, a feast where friends come together and you don't care if it's one or two o'clock in the morning because you are having such a great time with them. If you were to study the Bible, And note the number of times that God is compared to somebody who throws a party for people he loves, you would be completely shocked. It happens time and time again in the Bible. Here in Luke chapter number 14, God is explicitly called or compared to a nobleman who throws a giant banquet for anybody who wants to show up. Most of us, let's be honest, don't think of God as a party planner, do we? That's not the title, that's not the imagery that we would typically use for God. In fact, in our world today, most of us think of God maybe like an accountant. And if you're an accountant, I hope I don't offend you, but let's be real, accountants are not known for throwing great parties. They're not usually the people that throw awesome get-togethers. Some of you do, you might be the exception, please don't email me, but I'm serious, right? 
We don't normally think about an accountant as throwing a great party. And so when we think of God as a, as a cosmic accountant, and he's up in heaven, and he's got his Google spreadsheets open, and he is tracking everything you do. Everything you do goes in the good column or the bad column. We've got a wrong picture of God. Every time you picture God as the cosmic policeman who's going to show up and shut the party down, every time you picture God as the judge who is constantly trying to hold people down to ruin their fun, their lives, whatever the case may be, right? Every time you picture God that way, you are actually picturing a God who does not show up in the Bible. In fact, over and again, God is pictured as somebody who loves to throw lavish, joyful parties that are full of food and friends and laughter and even wine. We have a wrong picture of who God is. God is actually into parties. Here's what I think. I think if most religious people showed up to one of God's feasts, they would end up pretty uncomfortable. This is what happened in the Bible. Anytime Jesus is at a party, the religious people show up and they're like, he shouldn't be doing that. He shouldn't be saying that. I mean, aren't we getting a little too wild and out here? This is too much. This is unbecoming for somebody who would be a follower of God, right? But time and again, God is compared to, God is presented as somebody who throws lavish parties, and so if the idea of celebrating, if it makes us uncomfortable, that means we're actually quite far from the heart of God because God enjoys celebrating, especially when lost things are found, when wandering people come home, when people who are hopeless and despairing, when they find hope, when they find joy, when they're reconciled to Him, God celebrates. So listen, that's why Connect looks the way it does on Sunday, you guys. We want this to seem like a party atmosphere. Do you understand the best compliment you can pay me is to walk in and say, this doesn't feel like church. I'm glad we want it to seem like a party. Why? Because time and again in the scripture, when Jesus talks about church, the house of God, or he talks about the kingdom of God, the imagery that he uses is not that of a school. It's not that of a prison. It's not that of anything else like that. It is always a celebration. It is always a feast. It is always a festivity. It is always a party. And so that's why I connect church here. It looks the way it does because according to Jesus, God really enjoys parties. Not only that, but we see here from this parable that Jesus tells that according to Jesus, everyone is invited to God's party. Everyone is invited. Did you notice that the, the master in this story he invited everybody you possibly could. He invited the religious and the non-religious. So again, let me just say to those of you who are here and you're like, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure I believe what you guys believe. Uh, I'm here and I'm not totally sure why. You're welcome. You are welcome here. You belong here. You have an invitation from the master to join his party. Jesus said the religious and the non-religious are invited. The wealthy and the not so wealthy are invited. Thank goodness, right? It says that he invited people who were healthy and people who were not healthy. 
There were different ethnicities we can imagine that were present at this party because he says, go find anyone, anybody you can. He didn't say if they're this color or from this country, don't invite them. He said everybody. That means there were different genders. Men and women both got to show up to the party. I mean, this is amazing that everyone is invited to God's party. Now, that means that you have a spot in God's party. You have a spot in his celebration. You have a spot at his dinner table. You have not just a spot. Can I say you have a reserved seat at God's party? A reserved, like literally there is a chair that has your name on it as far as God is concerned. That spot is for you because God is waiting for you to finally show up to the party he's been inviting you to for decades. Now, maybe you've heard differently. Maybe you went to a church and they told you, hey, listen, if you want to show up to this party, you need to change quite a bit. You need to get rid of those facial piercings because, no, we're not having that. And don't ask your tough questions here. You need to pretend like you don't have any doubts if you want to fit in. And oh, by the way, we expect you to give just a little bit more in the offering. You need to step up your game, if you know what I mean. You may have been a part of places of worship like that. Like if you were to do all the things that we ask, then we might pencil your name in on the guest list. Can I tell you at God's feast, in his kingdom, in his church, your name is not penciled into the guest list. Every single person's name is written in the ink of Jesus' blood. It cannot be erased. You cannot take it away. Nobody's ever going to blot you out. Nobody is ever going to tell you this is not a party for you because God loves to celebrate. And there is nothing that he loves to celebrate more than when you return to him. This is why we love the diversity that we see here at Connect Church, because everyone is invited to God's party. We have white-collar people in the audience, and we have blue-collar people in the audience. We even have some no-collar people. That's okay. We have skeptics in our audience every Sunday, and we have true believers that show up every single week. We have Africans, we have Filipinos, they even let Americans in here, you guys. Like literally anybody can show up and have a seat at God's party. Whoa. I mean, there is nothing that would prevent you from taking your seat at God's table except for you. You don't have to earn your way onto God's guest list. He chooses you. He chooses you because he wants you at his party, okay? But here's the thing. I don't know if you were bothered by that last line there in the story we read where the the master said, none of the people who were originally invited will get even a taste of my banquet. That's a tough sentence. And what it reminds us of, what it points out is that although each of us are freely invited, each of us can freely reject the invitation, You understand that, right? God's never going to force you. He's going to hound you. He is going to try to pursue you. He is going to try to win you over, but God will never force your decision. It will always be yours. You will always choose whether or not you're going to go to the party or you're going to stay behind if you're going to find something else to do instead. Gosh, what a shame it would be to get so caught up in work 
or in romance or buying shiny new things that we say no to the greatest invitation that's ever been given to us. God is really into parties, and every one of you are invited because the party is actually in His honor with you as the special guests. But there's a problem, and that is that too many invitations to God's party remain undelivered. Too many invitations to this party remain undelivered. The servant in this story said, hey, there's still room for more. And so the master says, then go out and urge anybody. I don't care who they are. If they have breath, they have a spot at the table. According to Jesus, there are servants that are tasked with making sure that everyone knows that they are invited. Okay, I'm gonna step on your toes here for a sec. My fear is too many of us want on Sundays the same thing we pray for on a plane ride, empty seats next to us. Now, we would never say that we want empty seats. I mean, I get that. We would never admit that. But you know what full seats mean? Full seats mean more work. If the theater is completely full, if a sanctuary at a traditional church is completely full, that means you have to have a lot more people engaged and serving, back in kids or making coffee or cleaning up spills or whatever the case may be. So full seats actually mean more work for us. And I wonder if subconsciously sometimes we're like, ah, I don't know if I want to do any more work. Full seats mean an inconvenience, right? Because if there are lots of people that are trying to get out of this theater and get their kids checked out from Connect Kids and you have to wait 10 minutes extra, that's an inconvenience. And so I wonder if sometimes we're like, ah, it'd probably be better for me at least if there were less people around and I didn't have to fight through so much of that. If we have full seats in a church, that means there are going to be people who don't look like us people who don't talk like us, people who don't even think or believe like us. And I have been a part of some churches, and so have you, where it's like the subconscious attitude is, no, 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 these kinds of people don't belong at this party. And so, although they would never admit it, there are people who secretly hope there are empty seats on Sunday mornings. It's not that they're opposed to new people coming. In fact, you might even have one or two people in your life that you really hope they show up someday, but you're not going to go out of your way to make any of that happen. Do you notice what God said through the, the mouth of this nobleman in the parable? He said, I want my house to be full. That's actually what God desires. If for any reason spoken or not, you think, eh, it'd be better if it was just a small family and I knew everybody. I mean, seriously, the number of times I have conversations with people, they're like, I could never go to a big church because you don't know everybody. Hey, can I just tell you, God's desire is for there to be no empty seats, for his house to be full, for people to show up to the party. Now, look, if you were inviting people to a religion, if you were inviting them to a place where they were going to have guilt and shame heaped on them, if you were inviting them to a place where we were going to go after their money, I could understand why you would be hesitant to pass out an invitation. But you're not inviting people to any of that. You are quite literally inviting people to God's party, to his feast, to his festival. That is the best possible thing you could offer to somebody. Who gets nervous about inviting somebody to a party? You carry around 
a personalized invitation to every coworker, every neighbor, every family member in your life. You carry it around. The question is whether or not you'll deliver it. There are too many people in our city who don't know that they have a reserved spot in God's party because nobody ever gave them an invitation. So where do you see yourself in this parable? I told you God is represented. He's clearly the noble in this story who's throwing the party. Where do you see yourself in this story? Are you one of the people who is invited, but you're making what we might call lame excuses? You're like, oh, I'd love to be a part, but I can't because... Are you really just making excuses? Like, I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything, but in your own heart, do you know that God has been calling you to step up and to step into the party and you've been holding back? Have you been making excuses? Do you understand that just because you come does not mean you are connected? Just because you come on Sundays does not mean you are connected on Sundays. And so maybe you've been holding back, keeping all this at arm's length, making whatever excuses you have, and God is calling you to lay those excuses aside and to take your place at his party. Perhaps you've you've come to recognize, man, I'm an outsider. I don't belong here. I will tell you, although I am the pastor of the church, I'm an outsider. I don't belong at God's party, okay? And yet I've been invited in. God has given me a place of honor at his table. It is incredible. It's nothing but his grace and love in my life that enables me to show up at all. And so maybe you're at that place. And can I just challenge you? If you know that that's who you are, you don't have to walk around like sneaking through the party like, I hope nobody knows I'm here. You belong. You fit in here. You have a place. You can actually get plugged in and get connected. You don't have to pretend like you snuck in the back door. You didn't. The party has been thrown in our honor. Maybe you know that you're a servant. You've been given the responsibility to fill in the house. Maybe you know, man, I've been here a long time. This is my home. And I'm seeing that God is calling me to participate in his rescue party. He is calling me to get involved, to get out of the seats and to do something more. Can I, listen, I'll just be totally honest with you. If I only came and sat on Sunday mornings, I would just not show up. I don't understand what the point of that is. Now, if you're new here, please, you can sit, you can take your time to figure all of this out. I'm not pressuring you. But if you're a believer and you've been sitting for a long time, can I tell you, you can sit at home and listen to the podcast. You don't have to show up for that. And do you know that we have a Spotify playlist that has every worship song we do on it? So you don't even have to come hear the band. You can get worship and word on your own without ever coming to the theater. But you know what you cannot get? without showing up, you cannot get relationships and you cannot use whatever gifts and talents God has placed inside of you if you stay at home and catch stuff online. The only reason for you to show up is to get to know somebody else and to invest in God's rescue party. We could summarize this whole message, the teaching, the meaning behind this parable that Jesus tells by saying this. 
an empty seat is a serious matter to God. For us, it's like, oh, sweet elbow room. Less people to fight through in the parking lot. For God, every single empty seat in this theater is one less person who's gonna discover hope this week. It's one more person who's gonna think that the pursuits and goals of life are money or respect or sex or pleasure or whatever else it is. Every single empty seat that you see, God sees somebody who should have been there this morning because an empty seat is a serious matter to God. When you came in this morning, you should have gotten a name tag. Looks a little like this. If you didn't get one, maybe some of our ushers can pass them out. But I want you to take that name tag out. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do, because it doesn't matter whether this is your first time here or, you know, you've been around a long time. It doesn't matter where you see yourself in the parable. The truth is God has given you invitations to his kingdom, to his party, to his forgiveness and love that he wants you to pass out. So here's what I'm gonna have you do. This is gonna be a little weird. I'm sorry to force you to do stuff. I normally let you kick back and I don't ask anything of you. So this morning, give me a little bit of grace. I want you to find one of the pens that's next to you in the, in the cup holder. Should have one around or pull one out of your man purse or something. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the first name and just the first name only, just the first name only of somebody in your life who needs to be here but doesn't yet know they're invited. Could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could be your dad, I don't know. But I want you to write a first name only. Could you do that? Just take a moment, write a first name only. Somebody you know who has an invitation, they have a reserved seat in God's family. They haven't shown up to the party yet. So we close out. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Seriously, stand, stand. Everybody stand, yeah. I'm going to have you peel your name tag. And I want you to turn around and stick that on the seat behind you, the seat that you are sitting in. Put their name on your seat, their name on your seat. If you couldn't get a pen, you can imagine it's invisible ink. That's okay. I want you to put their name on your seat. And I want this little exercise to remind you that every seat is somebody's seat. It's not your seat. We don't throw this party for you guys. We throw it for the ones who aren't here yet, for the ones who are seeking, the ones who feel lost, the ones who feel desperate, the ones who feel outcast, the ones who feel like they've never fit in in a church before. They are the ones for whom we do these Sunday morning services. And there's the potential that you're taking up a seat that they need. So we're gonna pray and ask God to give us opportunity and boldness to share an invitation. What would you do? What would you be willing to do to get that person here on Sunday? Would you be willing to call them and give them an invite? Say, I'm not inviting you to church. I'm not inviting you to a religion. I'm actually inviting you to a party. Would you be willing to go to an earlier service, even if you'd rather sleep in, 
so that the later service, when the guests show up, they have enough seats? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to go back and work in the nursery to hold that person's little baby so that they could sit in this theater and have a distraction-free worship service? Would you be willing to stick around an extra 30 minutes after the service and help us break down all the equipment it takes to put on this service or this party? I wonder what you might be willing to do, what you might be capable of doing so that every single man, woman, boy, and girl in the city of Calgary would know they have a seat reserved for them at Connect Church, Cross Iron Mills, every single Sunday morning. They don't have to go through life alone. They don't have to go through life thinking they've got to prove that they're worthy of anything. They are accepted and loved by their heavenly father. They have been forgiven by him. They just need to know it. So let me pray that God would use us to deliver some invitations, that we would see empty seats not as elbow room, but as a doggone shame because it means one fewer person knows about God and his party. Thank you.